The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sportbox. Your headlines, the far right is beaten in French regional elections, but President Macron's ruling party also fails to clinch a single victory as leaders warn the historically low turnout rate is bad for democracy. This historical civic disaffection is a major signal sent to all the political leaders and even to the entire society. We are going through a profound crisis of the local democracy which requires a collective reflection process. Sajid Javid is appointed UK Health Secretary after Matt Hancock resigns in disgrace with the former Chancellor pledging to end restrictions across the country. We are still in a pandemic. And I want to see that come to an end as soon as possible. And that will be my most immediate priority, to see that we can return to normal as soon and as quickly as possible. Trouble for Tesla. The electric car maker recalls nearly 300,000 vehicles in China for an online software update over a safety issue which can cause sudden acceleration. On the markets, U.S. stocks posted their best week in months, and the S&P hit another record high, even as the Commerce Department's inflation indicator rises at its fastest rate since the early 90s. The death toll in a Miami residential building collapse climbs to nine as rescuers search the rubble for signs of life, with more than 150 people still missing. Very good morning this uh, Monday morning. And we don't start with the markets this morning. We're going to start with the politics because interesting as we head towards the French presidential elections, to what extent French politics may impact market sentiment. Well, France's far-right parties failed to win a single region in elections on Sunday in a vote that saw record low turnout. France's 12 regions were all won by centre-right or leftist parties, with President Macron's La République en marche also failing to secure victory anywhere. Well, Marine Le Pen, leader of the far-right national rally, criticised the poor turnout as she turned her attention to next year's presidential vote. When two French people out of three persist in not going to vote, especially the young people and the working class, it is obviously a message that we must look closely at because this historical civic disaffection is a major signal sent to all the political leaders and even to the entire society. We are going through a profound crisis of the local democracy which requires a collective reflection process. Marine Le Pen there. Well, let's get to Charlotte and ask uh, what exactly is going on here, because we've got the issue of low turnout again for these regional polls. And again, it seems that the far right have missed out on what was expected to be a better set of elections for them. 
Yes, that's one of the main conclusions that we had yesterday. Really, the picture that we saw emerging last week in the first round really was confirmed uh, yesterday. Mainly, there was really bad result for uh, the far-right party of Marine Le Pen. They were really hoping, they were showing in the poll that they could win one, if not two regions, where they failed to do that. If anything, they lost ground in all the regions. Uh, and the one region where they could have won yesterday was the Provence-Alpes d'Azur. They didn't win uh, there. So there's really a change there of what that will mean for Marine Le Pen. They've really worked on a revamping kind of exercise in the past couple of years, including changing the of the party from Front National to Rassemblement National, whether they tried to normalize the party for the past couple of years, whether this will change now, just 10 months before the presidential election. Uh, another tendency that was confirmed, the centre-right holding pretty well, with three of the barons of the centre-right really holding to their uh, seat as president of the regions. You have Xavier Bertrand, Valérie Pécresse and Laurent Vauquier, the three names that emerged now very much. The race will be on which one of these candidates can be the potential opponent to uh, Emmanuel Macron in the presidential election. And Year. We know that so that the race is on for these uh, three names. Uh, an awful result for La République En Marche, as you said, it's still just a one-man band. It's only just an instrument for one man to win Emmanuel Macron. It doesn't have, it's not a party that has local grassroots, doesn't have local networks and did really badly uh, there. And the turnout being abysmal again, only 34%. Uh, now the paradox, the map hasn't changed at all. All the, the regions have remained exactly the way they were in the last election in 2015. Uh, and the paradox is that when you look at polls of intention of vote for the presidential election, including one that was carried just yesterday, Marine Le Pen and Emmanuel Macron still come first. So the two parties that did badly in those regional elections are still the ones that come ahead in a potential presidential run and are most likely at the moment to go into the second round. So it's really a question that you cannot really extrapolate regional and local elections to a highly personalized uh, run like the presidential one next year. So it's a really dichotomy here of what is happening. Um, now, what we know that President Macron will want to ignore to a certain extent uh, this result this weekend, focus on uh, the big race ahead of him for the next 10 months. Uh, he's holding today his Choose France uh, summit when he receives uh, CEOs from across uh, the world to tell them to invest in France. Normally uh, a meeting he has before the Davos conference where he receives those international CEOs. And he's at a big unveiling this morning in Douai in the north of France where a big gigafactory is about to, uh, to be opened, a 2 billion euros investment being made in France. But guess what? Guess who will be next to him? It will be Xavier Bertrand, one of the centre-right frontrunners, a potential opponent to him in the next presidential election, because that would be in his northern region. So believe me, the race for the presidential election is very much on and President Macron won't be able to escape it even this morning, guys. say this very often, but I was chatting to the president myself not two weeks ago uh, about international affairs when I saw him at the G7 as well. And, and I have to say, whether you uh, like him or not, he is a very impressive international mover and shaker. He looks right on the world stage. Is that part of the problem, that he's looking too much at the outside about uh, the international issues and not enough at his domestic power base, which, of course, is very fragile at the best of times? What is the usual role of the president to a certain extent? The president focuses on the big international picture and uh, the prime minister focuses on more domestic things. The president will give the roadmap and the prime minister is the one that will have to apply it. And look at his personal polling. He's doing very well and he's doing better and better now that the health situation is improving, the economic situation is, is, is improving. He's at 50% of positive uh, opinion, which is unheard of uh, compared to his predecessors at the same time of his presidency. So he's doing okay. So in terms of the presidential election, uh, he could 
still be the winner. As things look at the moment, we know that 10 months is a long time in politics, but at the moment, he's still uh, the favorite. Now, what the question of some of these local elections, bad results raised, is that what did it mean for President Macron in the legislative election, the parliamentary election, that come just a month or two uh, after the presidential one? And president, without a majority in parliament, will really fail to push their agenda through. And at the last election, President Macron had a vast, huge, solid majority to push his reform agenda through. Now, the question is, if he fails to get some of his MPs uh, elected after the presidential election, then he will really struggle to push his reform agenda through for his second mandate, potential second mandate. Very much indeed for that, Charlotte, for running us through what happened over the weekend. Right, Douglas Yates is professor at the American Graduate School in Paris. Good morning to you, Douglas. Well, look, I mean, you point out in your notes about this turnout in the second round. It's a lot simpler for creatures like you and me, i.e. you have less candidates. Uh, why was it so dismal? And Marine Le Pen is right in some ways that actually cr there is a crisis in democracy in France in some ways. I mean, she should have been a major beneficiary of discontent towards Macron, shouldn't she? Yeah, well, the regional elections just don't interest anybody. I mean, there were these interviews showing French people being asked, what do your regions do? And the regions do some important things, like they run the middle schools, you know, they, they take care of roads, they run the fire departments. This stuff is not sexy. Um, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, a kind of election where the government needs to make more of an effort to get the turnout. And they can do things. They can do things like mail-in ballots or even electronic ballots. People, everybody after COVID, like this moment with me now, we're able to use our computers to communicate with one, with one another. And instead, they kind of require people to go in and fill out in person a paper ballot. Uh, young people voted more than older people. It's bizarre. But uh, if they made the effort to make this a digital election, I think regional participation would increase noticeably. Um, Douglas, is the economy an issue at all? I mean, clearly France had a uh, difficult 2020, like all other European countries, but they are expected to rebound. I think 5.4% is the number um, that's been penciled in by a lot of the uh, economists here. But it's going to be hard charging, isn't it, with these sporadic flare-ups flare in the um, COVID pandemic. Is it coming up as, a, as an issue for the voters at all? Yeah, the, um, uh, the, the, the voters are divided among a whole spectrum, a whole range of parties, but they remain fairly stable in their identity. So the positions they're going to be taking on the economy are predictable. So on the far left, they're going to be complaining about downsizing, outsourcing, protection of rights. On the far right, they're going to be complaining generally about what is perceived as a bad performance by all the systemic partners. And on the center right, which is the most interesting right now, on the center right, they've managed to break and define themselves as different from Macron's Le, uh, Le Républicain. But uh, for Macron, what's essential is this post-COVID wave, which is coming in all around the world as, as, as uh, trade increases, as you, you can see it in the, in the commodities market, as commodities run short, as the economy is picking up, all of the world's major powers are positioning themselves to receive foreign investments. And uh, France is going to have a, a great year. 
compared to what it had before COVID. But that's things picking up again. And uh, it's going to have to compete uh, with other countries. Douglas, you've mentioned a number of factors here from, from COVID, the logistics of getting voters to the poll come polling day next year in the, the first and the second round. There's a lot of hurdles between now and then, yet the market and commentators are looking at these regional elections as a signaling function as to whether this is going to be a Macron versus Le Pen duel in the second round. Do you think there's any way to say at this stage that that is going to be what we, we face at the end of the day, Macron versus Le Pen? Yes. Um, I think that that is the safest bet. The socialists, although they managed to retain their regional uh, governments, have not really fielded anyone of national prominence. So besides that, the only real challenge to a Macron-Le Pen race would be Les Républicains. Two candidates, Valérie Pécresse, uh, a woman who uh, took the region here in Ile-de-France, an incumbent, is one possibility, and the other is Xavier Bertrand. Uh, but, um, you know, there, basically Macron did not manage to install himself at the regional level. But he remains the man. He's the center of attention. And Marine Le Pen, the anti-system candidate, has built up a popularity and works through alternative media and has an identity. So that's the most likely result. Um, just one more for me, Douglas, as well, just looking at your notes here as well. Um, just some, some notes on what's going on in the States at the moment as well. If we just go to the other uh, side of the, uh, the Atlantic as well. Um, I was listening to a very interesting piece this morning saying the troubles that Kamala Harris is having um, and the role that has been given to her by the president. But there's a lot going on that appears bipartisan at the moment. Just how would you judge the, the progress being made uh, by the Biden administration at the moment? The infrastructure plan was a victory. He scored a point because he's been promising that he can do bipartisanship in a completely divided uh, a country with an electorate where people are strongly one or the other. And he managed to get half of what he asked for. He asked for two and a half trillion. He got one and a half trillion. Of course, it's not a done deal because, as you say, within his own party, he has to run resistance against the left wing of the party who are trying to link uh, a second bill to the first bill. But this, this was a victory for bipartisanship, and it shows that there is some space to get things done in Washington. Uh, as long as the Democrats are willing to compromise with the Republicans, it has to be perceived as a Republican victory as well. As long as this is seen as Biden wins bipartisanship, Mitch McConnell will oppose it. But if Mitch is able to go back and show to the Republican base we in Congress can deliver, then uh, perhaps they'll be more down the line. The U.S. is also standing to do well in this post-COVID uh, economy. And uh, so that's something that everyone can take a victory lap around the track for. Good to have you on board, Douglas. Thanks so much for it's your time nice this morning. Douglas Yates, uh, professor, uh, American graduate school in Paris. Uh, let's move on. Coming up on the programme, China prepares to mark the 100-year anniversary of the Communist Party. Uh, we'll break down what's in store when we come back. Yes, and I'm told the uh, podcast today has got a real Gallic feel to it as well. We're talking about the French regional elections and Macron's push to attract investment. Check out the uh, or Le Squawk Box podcast.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. The official death toll continues to rise in Surfside, Florida, as rescue teams search rubble for survivors four days after a high-rise condominium complex partially collapsed. Nine people have been confirmed dead, with 152 people still unaccounted for as of Sunday evening. The cause of the collapse has yet to be determined. U.S. Republicans have signaled they're ready to move ahead with Joe Biden's $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill after the president withdrew his threat to veto the plan. Biden had thrown the agreement into doubt by suggesting he would block the bill unless the GOP signed up to other Democratic proposals, but then walked back those comments over the weekend. And to the data, the U.S. core PCE price index, a key inflation indicator, rose in the month of May at its fastest year-on-year pace since 1992, coming in at 3.4%. The rise reflects the accelerating economic expansion stateside, along with the resulting pricing pressures. However, the core PCE index for the month was up just 0.5%, while consumer spending was flat. This is the Federal Reserve downplays inflation concerns, which it views as, quote, transitory. Pound in the pot, Karen. That's the first time someone's mentioned transitory this week. (laughs) Okay, thanks very much indeed for that. Okay, let's take a quick look at what the US markets did as well. So this is what we did uh, on the session as well. I think what's perhaps more interesting for you is what we did on the week as well. So the Dow was up 3.4% last week, S&P 2.7, NASDAQ 2.4%, dollar index week to date was down a half of 1%. Financials were certainly one of the big catalysts on Friday. They were up 1.3%, but actually on the week it was energy. I'll come to oil in a few moments' time. But just to say, uh, Wells Fargo 2.66 is the percentage increase on Friday. Uh, And we did this, didn't we? We did this um, at the tail end of last week. We had a, a look at the valuations of U.S. companies compared with U.S. companies as well. And you would struggle to find a U.S. bank with a price to book of less than one. In fact, some of them, like JP and that, significantly higher than that, a lot closer to two than one as well. Whereas in Europe, you struggle to find a bank that has a price to book anywhere near one or over, significantly lower. The likes of Sockgen, the likes of HSBC, the likes of Barclays, some of the, the biggest banks, UBS as well, are not getting above that one level as well, which shows you, yes, there is a big disparity in terms of the valuation, but is that disparity ever going to be filled? Is that gap ever going to be filled? And the answer appears to be historically... Not on your Nelly. So there's a little bit of a challenge to all you out there saying European equities are cheap, US equities are expensive. Show me the period in history where that gap has been closed. Not got tighter, but closed. And I'm struggling to find any of it for a whole host of regulatory, liquidity, psychology, performance, underlying economy reasons as well. Let's have a look at energy. I promise you that one as well. Last week, energy in terms of the stocks was up 6.7% for the subsector. Really, really big rally for Brent and WTI. 3.4% WTI, 3.6% on Brent. A lot of eyes on OPEC and what they're going to be doing going forward. Seeing as we're at the kind of levels where it's really beginning to hurt some. Hurt the likes of India, hurts a lot of manufacturing companies. Uh, In China, for instance, the profits there just coming off a little bit as raw material prices increase as well. Is this when OPEC starts to open the taps a little bit more aggressively? 
braver men than I have uh, fallen on the sword of that call. Anyway, so we're up 57% over the last five years, but a large amount of that, of course, uh, in the most recent weeks and months. Let's have a look at the Asian markets. X Hong Kong. A little bit of rain down there as well. We had a bit of rain in Sussex as well. It didn't stop me coming in. But I think I've got a feeling the Hong Kong weather's a little bit more inclement, to be fair. Um, but anyway, uh, flat on the Shanghai Composite. In fact, flat across the board. Really a, a complete lack of volatility on these uh, major Asian indices so far today. What do you want to think? of the opening calls. What do you want to think? Oh, let's have a look. Get the words out. There you go. Look, flat as a pancake again. So really, uh, all to be done on that. I'll take, give you a little bit of a hint of what's ahead the week ahead. We've got conference board data on Tuesday. That's quite interesting for some of you as well. Then we get the ADP later in the week. But the real point is the employment data as well. Bearing in mind, that employment data will be an outcome, not an outlook. So we're looking at some of the backward-looking indicators a little bit more attentively nowadays. Uh, let's pick it up uh, and let's move on. And we'll obviously give focus on jobs, I think, for the whole week, won't we, in the absence of other market movers. Um, Chinese regulators have said Tesla will recall nearly 300,000 Chinese-made and imported Model 3 and Model Y cars. State officials said the move is due to an assisted driving function, which can be accidentally activated and cause sudden acceleration. The software recall is a first for Tesla cars built in China. China's industrial profit growth slowed again in May as raw materials prices surged, leading to tighter margins and weaker factory activity. Profits at China's industrial companies rose nearly 37% in May compared to 2020, according to the National Bureau of Statistics, marking a slowdown from April's 57% surge. Hundreds of police officers have been deployed across Beijing alongside patriotic flower arrangements and national flag uh, fireworks as the country prepares to celebrate the 100th anniversary of its Communist Party. The festivities and ramped up surveillance come after a year of planning and as the party faces political challenges at home and abroad. Let's get to Sam who's got more on this from Singapore. Just characterise the nature of the uh, celebrations for us, Sam. Well, I'm a bit far away from Beijing at this stage, Jeff, but I know that uh, certainly China knows how to throw a big birthday party, that's for sure. And I think you uh, certainly uh, set the scene there and painted the picture for us. I mean, undoubtedly, uh, the Chinese Communist Party has some major challenges ahead in terms of its headwinds geopolitically and economically. But certainly this milestone this week, the 1st of July on Thursday, when it's the big day, uh, does give us a chance to look at certainly how we got to this point. It's been quite a remarkable uh, 100 years, you could say, for the party. It's achieved a lot in that time. It's also been uh, pretty challenging, though. Of course, you had the events of uh, 1989 with uh, Tiananmen Square, exactly uh, what we're looking at right now. Uh, but certainly uh, under this party, uh, China uh, has now grown into one of the great powers of the 21st century. It is the uh, second biggest economy in the world and also has the biggest population on the planet. And in that sense, China really cannot be ignored here. This is a big story. And if we break this down by the numbers, for instance, if you look at your screens there, I mean, we have seen China's GDP growth under its leaders absolutely soaring from the days of Mao Zedong uh, to today with President Xi Jinping. And that really started to climb, as you can see there, from uh, Jiang Zemin to Hu Jintao, much thanks to Deng Xiaoping's reform and opening up policies uh, in the late uh, 70s, really opening up uh, Shenzhen uh, to the world, the Guangdong province, uh, which really uh, started uh, China's massive economic boom. Uh, if we look deeper into the numbers, 
because certainly if we compare it with uh, the U.S. in terms of the uh, difference between the world's two biggest economies right now, if you look at China's share of uh, global GDP, for instance, it was 18% last year compared to the U.S.'s 24%, so not far behind. And that was the same with uh, foreign direct investment inflows uh, into the country. Right now, you're looking at China's uh, GDP per capita, which certainly has uh, taken off uh, since the 1980s uh, up until now. We do know the purchasing power of the Chinese consumer is very strong, that uh, rising middle class. But also, if you look at China's uh, manufacturing output uh, back in 2019, the latest figures, we've got 28.7% compared to the US's 16.8%. And as I say, uh, it really is a significant story in terms uh, of its growth there. Now, in terms of uh, Xi Jinping's goals and ambitions, uh, certainly he has some big plans, some big ambitions and goals for the country, uh, certainly in terms of where he plans to steer uh, the country moving forward, as you can see on their screen, on your screens there. But certainly, guys, that does come in the face of a lot of headwinds geopolitically and economically, which we'll be talking about for the rest of the week. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.